Section one of a woman's journey round the world. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. A woman's journey round the world by Ida Laura Pfeiffer. Chapter one. The voyage to the Brazils. Part one. Departure from Vienna. Stay in Hamburg. Steamers and sailing vessels, departure from Hamburg, Cuxhaven, the British Channel, flying fish, the Fisolida, constellations, passing the line, the Vamperos, a gale and storm, Cape Frio, arrival in the port of Rio Janeiro. On the 1st of May, 1846, I left Vienna, and, with the exception of slight stoppages at Prague, Dresden, and Leipzig, proceeded directly to Hamburg there to embark for the Brazils. In Prague I had the pleasure of meeting Count Berchtold, who had accompanied me during a portion of my journey in the east. He informed me that he should like to be my companion in the voyage to the Brazils, and I promised to wait for him in Hamburg. I had a second most interesting meeting on the steamer from Prague to Dresden, namely with the widow of Professor Mikan. In the year 1817, this lady had, on the occasion of the marriage of the Austrian princess Leopoldine with Don Pedro I, followed her husband to the Brazils, and afterwards made with him a scientific journey into the interior of the country. I had often heard this lady's name mentioned, and my joy at making her personal acquaintance was very great. In the kindest and most amiable manner, she communicated to me the results of her long experience, and added advice and rules of conduct, which proved afterwards highly useful. I arrived in Hamburg on the 12th of May, and as early as the 13th might have embarked on board a fine fast-sailing brig, which besides was christened the Ida like myself. With a heavy heart I saw this fine vessel set sail. I was obliged to remain behind, as I had promised my travelling companion to await his arrival. Week after week elapsed, with nothing but the fact of my staying with my relatives to lighten the dreariness of suspense. At last, about the middle of June, the Count came, and shortly afterwards we found a vessel, a Danish brig, the Caroline, Captain Bock, bound for Rio Janeiro. I had now before me a long voyage, which could not be made under two months at the least, and which possibly might last three or four. Luckily, I had already lived for a considerable period on board sailing vessels during my former travels, and was therefore acquainted with their arrangements, which are very different from those of steamers. On board a steamer everything is agreeable and luxurious. The vessel pursues her rapid course independent of the wind, and the passengers enjoy good and fresh provisions, spacious cabins, and excellent society. In sailing vessels all this is very different, as, with the exception of the large East India men, they are not fitted up for passengers. In them the cargo is looked upon as the principal thing, and in the eyes of the crew passengers are a troublesome addition, whose comfort is generally very little studied. The captain is the only person who takes any interest in them, since a third or even the half of the passage money falls to his share. The space, too, is so confined that you can hardly turn yourself round in the sleeping cabins, while it is quite impossible to stand upright in the berths. Beside this, the motion of a sailing vessel is much stronger than that of a steamer. On the latter, however, many affirm that the eternal vibration 
and the disagreeable odour of the oils and coals are totally insupportable. For my own part, I never found this to be the case. It certainly is unpleasant, but much easier to bear than the many inconveniences always existing on board a sailing vessel. The passenger is there a complete slave to every whim or caprice of the captain, who is an absolute sovereign and holds uncontrolled sway over everything. Even the food depends upon his generosity, and although it is generally not absolutely bad, in the best instances it is not equal to that on board a steamer. The following form the ordinary diet, tea and coffee without milk, bacon and junk, soup made with peas or cabbage, potatoes, hard dumplings, salted cod and ship biscuit. On rare occasions ham, eggs, fish, pancakes or even skinny fowls are served out. It is very seldom in small ships that bread can be procured. To render the living more palatable, especially on a long voyage, passengers would do well to take with them a few additions to the ship's fare. The most suitable are portable soup and captain's biscuit, both of which should be kept in tin canisters to preserve them from mouldiness and insects. A good quantity of eggs, which, when the vessel is bound for a southern climate, should first be dipped in strong lime water or packed in coal dust. Rice, potatoes, sugar, butter, and all the ingredients for making sangaree and potato salad, the former being very strengthening and the latter very cooling. I would strongly recommend those who have children with them to take a goat as well. As regards wine, passengers should take especial care to ask the captain whether this is included in the passage money, otherwise it will have to be purchased from him at a very high rate. There are also other objects which must not be forgotten, and above all a mattress, bolster, and counterpane, as the berths are generally unfurnished. These can be purchased very cheaply at any seaport town. Besides this, it is likewise advisable to take a stock of coloured linen. The office of washerwoman is filled by a sailor, so that it may easily be imagined that the linen does not return from the wash in the best possible condition. When the sailors are employed in shifting the sails, great care must be taken to avoid injury by the falling of any of the ropes. But all these inconveniences are comparatively trifling. The greatest amount of annoyance begins towards the end of the voyage. The captain's mistress is his ship. At sea he allows her to wear an easy negligee. But in port she must appear in full dress. Not a sign of the long voyage, of the storms, of the glowing heat she has suffered, must be visible. Then begins an incessant hammering, planing, and sawing. Every flaw, every crack or injury is made good, and, to wind up, the whole vessel is painted afresh. The worst of all, however, is the hammering when the cracks in the deck are being repaired and filled up with pitch. This is almost unbearable. But enough of annoyances. I have described them merely to prepare, in some degree, those who have never been to sea. Persons residing in seaport towns do not, perhaps, stand in need of this, for they hear these matters mentioned every day, but such is not the case with us poor souls who have lived all our lives in inland cities. Very often we hardly know how a steamer or a sailing vessel looks, much less the mode of life on board them. I speak from experience, and know too well what I myself suffered on my first voyage, simply because, not having been warned beforehand, I took nothing with me save a small stock of linen and clothes. At present I will proceed with the progress of my voyage. 
we embarked on the evening of the twenty eighth of june and weighed anchor before daybreak on the twenty ninth the voyage did not commence in any very encouraging manner we had very little in fact almost no wind at all and compared to us every pedestrian appeared to be running a race we made the nine miles to blankenese in seven hours luckily the slow rate at which we proceeded was not so disagreeable as at first for a considerable period we beheld the magnificent port and afterwards could admire on the holstein side the beautiful country houses of the rich hamburgers situated upon charming eminences and surrounded by lovely gardens the opposite side belonging to hanover is as flat and monotonous as the other side is beautiful about here the elbe in many places is from three to four miles broad before reaching blankenese the ships take in their stock of water from the elbe this water although of a dirty and thick appearance is said to possess the valuable quality of resisting putridity for years we did not reach gluckstadt thirty-seven miles from hamburg before the morning of the thirtieth as there was not now a breath of wind we were entirely at the mercy of the stream and began drifting back the captain therefore ordered the men to cast anchor and profited by the leisure thus enforced upon them to have the chests and boxes made fast on the deck and in the hold we idlers had permission granted us to land and visit the town in which however we found but little to admire there were eight passengers on board the four cabin places were taken by count b myself and two young people who hoped to make their fortune sooner in the brazils than in europe the price of a passage in the first cabin was one hundred dollars twenty pounds sixteen shillings and eightpence and in the steerage fifty dollars ten pounds eight shillings and fourpence in the steerage besides two worthy tradesmen was a poor old woman who was going in compliance with the wish of her only son who had settled in the brazils to join him there and a married woman whose husband had been working as a tailor for the last six years in rio janeiro people soon became acquainted on board ship and generally endeavoured to agree as well as possible in order to render the monotony of a long voyage at all supportable on the first of july we again set sail in rather stormy weather we made a few miles but were soon obliged to cast anchor once more the elbe is here so wide that we could hardly see its banks and the swell so strong that sea-sickness began to manifest itself among our company on the second of july we again attempted to weigh anchor but with no better success than the day before towards evening we saw some dolphins also called tumbler or tumblers as well as several gulls which announced to us that we were fast nearing the sea a great many vessels passed quickly by us ah they could turn to account the storm and wind which swelled out their sails and drove them rapidly towards the neighbouring port we grudged them their good fortune and perhaps we had to thank this specimen of christian love on our part that on the third of july we had not got further than cuxhaven seventy-four miles from hamburg the fourth of july was a beautifully fine day for those who could remain quietly on shore but for those on board ship it was bad enough as there was not the slightest breath of wind stirring to get rid of our lamentations the captain launched out in praises of the charming little town and had us conveyed to land we visited the town as well as the bathing establishment and the lighthouse and afterwards actually proceeded as far as a place called the bush where as we were told 
we should find a great abundance of strawberries after wandering about over fields and meadows for a good hour in the glowing heat we found the bush it is true but instead of strawberries discovered only frogs and adders there we now proceeded into the scanty wood where we saw about twenty tents erected a bustling landlord came up and offering us some glasses of bad milk said that every year a fair is held in the bush for three weeks or rather on three successive sundays for during the weekdays the booths are closed the landlady also came tripping towards us and invited us in a very friendly manner to spend the next sunday with them she assured us that we should amuse ourselves charmingly that we elder members of the company should find entertainment in the wonderful performance of the tumblers and jugglers and the younger gentlemen find spruce young girls for partners in the dance we expressed ourselves much pleased at this invitation promised to be sure to come and then extended our walk to ritzebutel where we admired a small castle in a miniature park fifth of july nothing is so changeable as the weather yesterday we were travelling in sunshine and to-day we were surrounded by a thick dark fog and yet this bad as it was we found more agreeable than the fine weather of the day before for a slight breeze sprang up and at nine o'clock in the morning we heard the rattling of the capstan as the anchor was being weighed in consequence of this the young people were obliged to give up the idea of an excursion to the bush and defer all dancing with pretty girls until their arrival in another hemisphere for it was fated that they should not set foot in europe again the transition from the elbe to the north sea is scarcely perceptible as the elbe is not divided into different channels but is eight or ten miles broad at its mouth it almost forms a small sea of itself and has even the green hue of one we were consequently very much surprised on hearing the captain exclaim in a joyful tone we are out of the river at last we imagined that we had long since been sailing on the wide ocean in the afternoon we bore in sight of the island of heligoland which belongs to the english and presented really a magical appearance as it rose out from the sea it is a barren colossal rock and had i not learned from one of the newest works on geography that it was peopled by about two thousand five hundred souls i should have supposed the whole island to have been uninhabited on three sides the cliffs rise so precipitously from the waves that all access is impossible we sailed by the place at a considerable distance and saw only the towers of the church and lighthouse in addition to the so-called monk a solitary perpendicular rock that is separated from the main body between which and it there sparkles a small strip of sea the inhabitants are very poor the only sources of their livelihood are fishing and bathing visitors a great number of the latter come every year as the bathing on account of the extraordinary swell is reckoned extremely efficacious unfortunately great fears are entertained that this watering place cannot exist much longer as every year the island decreases in size from the continual falling away of large masses of rock so that some day the whole place may disappear into the sea from the fifth to the tenth of july we had continued stormy and cold weather with a heavy sea and great rolling of the ship all we poor landlubbers were suffering from seasickness we first entered the british channel also called la manche four hundred and twenty miles from cuxhaven on the night of the tenth to the eleventh we awaited with impatience the rising of the sun which would display to our gaze 
two of the mightiest powers of Europe. Luckily the day was fine and clear, and the two kingdoms lay before us, in such magnificence and proximity, that the beholder was almost inclined to believe that a sister people inhabited both countries. On the coast of England we saw the North Foreland, the castle of Sandown, and the town of Deal, stretching out at the foot of the cliffs, which extended for many miles, and are about a hundred and fifty feet high. Further on we came in sight of the South Foreland, and lastly the ancient castle of Dover, that sits right bravely enthroned upon an eminence, and overlooks the surrounding country far and wide. The town itself lies upon the seashore. Opposite Dover, at the narrowest part of the channel, we distinguished on the French coast, Cap Grenet, where Napoleon erected a small building, in order, it is said, to be at least able to see England, and, further on, the obelisk raised in memory of the camp at Boulogne by Napoleon, but completed under Louis-Philippe. The wind being unfavourable, we were obliged, during the night, to tack in the neighbourhood of Dover. The great darkness which covered both land and sea rendered this manoeuvre a very dangerous one, firstly, on account of the proximity of the coast, and secondly, on account of the number of vessels passing up and down the channel. To avoid a collision, we hung out a lantern on the foremast, while, from time to time, a torch was lighted and held over the side, and the bell frequently kept sounding, all very alarming occurrences to a person unused to the sea. For fourteen days we were prisoners in the three hundred and sixty miles of the channel, remaining very often two or three days, as if spellbound, in the same place, while we were frequently obliged to cruise for whole days to make merely a few miles. And near start we were overtaken by a tolerably violent storm. During the night I was suddenly called upon deck. I imagined that some misfortune had happened, and hastily throwing a few clothes on, hurried up, to enjoy the astonishing spectacle of a sea-fire. In the wake of the vessel I behold a streak of fire so strong that it would have been easy to read by its light. The water round the ship looked like a glowing stream of lava, and every wave as it rose up threw out sparks of fire. The track of the fish was surrounded by dazzling, inimitable brilliancy, and far and wide everything was one dazzling coruscation. This extraordinary illumination of the sea is of very unfrequent occurrence, and rarely happens after long-continued violent storms. The captain told me that he had never yet beheld the sea so lighted up. For my part, I shall never forget the sight. A second and hardly less beautiful spectacle came under our observation at another time, when, after a storm, the clouds, gilt by the rays of the sun, were reflected as in a mirror on the bosom of the sea. They glittered and shone with an intensity of colour which surpassed even those of the rainbow. We had full leisure to contemplate Ediston Lighthouse, which is the most celebrated building of the kind in Europe, as we were cruising about two days in sight of it. Its height and the boldness and strength with which it is built are truly wonderful, but still more wonderful is its position upon a dangerous reef, situated ten miles from the coast. At a distance it seems to be founded in the sea itself. We often sailed so near the coast of Cornwall that not only could we plainly perceive every village, but even the people in the streets and in the open country. The land is hilly and luxuriant, and appears carefully cultivated. During the whole time of our cruising in the channel, the temperature was cold and raw, 
the thermometer seldom being higher than 65 degrees to 75 degrees Fahrenheit. At last, on the 24th of July, we came to the end of the channel and attained the open sea. The wind was tolerably favourable, and on the 2nd of August we were off Gibraltar, where we were becalmed for 24 hours. The captain threw several pieces of white crockery ware, as well as a number of large bones, overboard, to show how beautifully green such objects appeared as they slowly sank down beneath the sea. Of course, this can only be seen in a perfect calm. In the evening we were greatly delighted by numbers of molluscae shining through the water. They looked exactly like so many floating stars, about the size of a man's hand. Even by day we could perceive them beneath the waves. They are of a brownish-red, and in form resemble a toadstool. Many had a thick pedicle, somewhat fimbriated, on the under part. Others, instead of the pedicle, had a number of threads hanging down from them. End of section 1